0: welcome to real time bi with kevin and stewart as always i'm kevin mcginley and with me mr Stuart bryson at least on my right on my screen we never know which which direction or uh which you know where where we're situated on each other's screens because it's always different but how these doing, cloud Scott? technologies kevin i just, know just, you never know Very unpredictable and unusable just i can't, <laughs> can't believe it <laughs> uh, so this is a, a pretty special episode, um, you know, it's sponsored by Hallmark and all that fun stuff because it's just very endearing and a special episode now. Uh, we're, we're, this is in advance of a, a cool program that we're running here in January um, where Red Pill Analytics is going to put on a three days worth of training. To show how easy it is to build analytics platforms in the cloud and we've got uh, guests from three different vendors that we're going to be using during that training day Um, so i'd like to kind of take the time to introduce all of them here so we'll start with uh, mr michael nixon who is the senior director of product marketing with a company called snowflake how you doing michael
1: doing well hi everyone
0: Thanks for joining us, appreciate it. And then we have uh, George Fraser, the CEO and founder of Fivetran. How you doing, George? Doing great. Uh, thanks for having me here today. Yeah, Good to see you again. Um, and then we have Daniel Mintz, who is the Chief Data Evangelist at Looker. How you doing, Daniel? Good, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, good to... Uh, George, we've met we've met before in, in person, but the other two, good to meet you guys virtually. Well, actually, no, I think, Michael, you said we, we did meet when we were at the... Snowflake.
1: Yes, yeah. you guys came out to Snowflake last year where I remember you making a fairly impressive presentation, so it was good to uh, be
0: connected. Oh, yes, yes, now I remember. Okay, excellent. We're all friends here. Awesome. Well, I, I'm glad it was memorable. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, so let's let's start with, uh, you know, just for the benefit of the audience, kind of a, an introduction of each of your companies, and, and we'll do this kind of in the order that we're going to be doing it during the day, during the jump program, because I think this sort of makes sense, um, you know, sort of as a natural progression. So uh, George, why don't you go first, um, because you're, you know, 5 you can tell us all about FiveTran and, uh, you know, why you guys are sort of first out of the gate, um, you know, when sure.
2: we... So Fivetran is a fully managed data pipeline that synchronizes all of your company's data from all of your databases, apps, files, webhooks into your data warehouse in a fully managed, fully automated way. So for example, you could use Fivetran to synchronize an Oracle database, a Salesforce instance, a Zendesk support desk, and a bunch of JSON files in S3 into a Snowflake data warehouse, and then you can do whatever you want with it.
0: Yep, that sounds great. And and that's actually what we're going to do in the jump program. Now, we're going to simplify that a little bit because we only have a a day's worth of time. Um, But we are going to take an Oracle database uh, and actually synchronize that into Snowflake um, so that we can do some interesting, uh, cool things on top of it. So, uh, Michael, why don't you go next and tell us all about Snowflake?
1: Yeah, great. And thanks for having me. Snowflake, what we are, we're a data warehouse as a service, which means, you have all the data warehouse capabilities you would expect plus ability to run a very robust SQL data base all in the cloud. And it's delivered as a service and our claim to fame or what makes us different from everyone is that as a service aspect. So you don't have to worry about system management. You don't have to worry about tuning. You don't have to worry about performance, optimization, none of that. We build all of that into our, data warehouse infrastructure and of course we work with great partners like um fivetran and and looker and and we're really excited to be on this program today
0: awesome thanks appreciate it michael and then we're going to end the day taking all that data that we have synchronized from our oracle database into snowflake and build some cool looker dashboards on top of that so tell us all about uh looker daniel
3: sure yeah so looker is a data analytics platform um, you know, we uh, we mostly provide software as a service. You can run it in the cloud, but you could also run it on premise if you've got security concerns. Um, and the the core concept of Looker is, you know, you've invested in in the best, fastest, cheapest uh, data warehouse in the cloud, something like Snowflake, for example. Um, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to pull that data out of Snowflake into the proprietary data engine of your BI tool, which is smaller and more expensive and you know, slower than that warehouse. Uh, It makes a lot more sense to actually leverage that underlying power of the database that you've invested in and to put a layer on top where you know as everybody in the company is accessing that data, asking questions of that data, they're getting not just an answer, but the right answer, right? They're not making up the new definition of lifetime customer value every time that they go to do an analysis. Somebody who actually knows the correct definition to that is taking that information out of their brain Putting it in the platform where everybody can access it, and everybody's going to get the same answer. And so that's what Looker does. It's a tool for people to ask questions of data, but
0: get trustworthy, uh, easy answers. Awesome. And so, you know, Stuart, you know, we've talked about this being all for the Jump program. Tell us uh, a little bit about, you know, how you and I kind of conceived the Jump program and what that's kind of all about and why. Oh, oh perfect! Wow, right. we we have right. on brand. We have uh we have run the jump program before, so oh nice. You you just came super prepared here, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. little, little did I know the product placement uh yeah. effort that how, went, how much are you paying for that product placement? <laughs> yeah.
1: Can we get t-shirts? Yeah, is absolutely.
4: Yeah, there'll probably be new ones. This is from the previous uh iteration of the jump program. So when Kevin and I founded the company, it was all about agility. Uh, cloud technologies. It was about, uh, you know, automation. We wanted to change change the world of BI in our eyes. And that was four years ago. Um, cloud was on the horizon. We Neither one of us were really working with it at that time. What we knew that we wanted to found a company that moved in that direction. Thus, that's why we, you know, taking the red pill from the Matrix movie was sort of the, the metaphor we used uh, to, to sort of explain that. So the very first thing we wanted to do um, besides just innovating BI was innovate training. And so the very first time that we ran a training program, it was on a, it was on an Oracle BI tool. Uh, so it was a, a, you know, previous generation tools, uh, but we wanted to show how to how to be agile and deliver, um, in an agile way with that tool. So instead of having, um, any sort of lectures or PowerPoint presentations, et cetera, we built an agile board with a bunch of tasks that needed to be completed. Invited the members to come in and work in teams and just uh, Scrum for three days. Right, Kevin? Scrum. Yeah. For three days. And uh, we got really, g- generally, great feedback. Um, but to make it free, we had to, to make it just one day uh, uh, this time around. And the agility is not sh- the agility we want to talk about this time around is not so much about agile, although I think those those principles apply. It's more about using a new breed of tools that are just agile in the way they work, right? So when we talk about Fivetran, it's easy to set up. Snowflake is easy to manage. And Looker has all the power and capabilities to give that sort of one version of the truth in the cloud that we're we're sort of used to on-prem. So, I mean, that's the reason why we kept the name. We still think agility makes sense. We still think loading the jump program makes sense. And we're really excited that that we convinced you three
0: <laughs> these three exceptional companies to get on board with us it's just you know yeah. awesome yeah so we're 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 really looking forward to that so I, i'd like to kind of hear from you guys you know what 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 is your take on you know what you're seeing at your companies and, and out in the marketplace around that agility that sort of Stuart spoke to not necessarily agile as a methodology per se but in in general the sort of speed of delivery the speed of, at which you can get up and running, You know why, why is that important now
2: in, in the space that we're seeing? And, and You know, um, we're we taking talk- here, just jump right in. Go ahead, George. We talk a lot about agility at Fivetran, and I think it's a really good analogy for data warehousing, actually. Um, I think the agile concepts map really well to data warehousing and reporting in a way that people don't necessarily expect. Um, okay. So if we wanted to hold up as the, the sort of example of what not to do, the equivalent of waterfall in the world of data warehousing, is where at the beginning of the exercise, you find out every query you're ever going to want to do, you design the perfect schema, a beautiful snowflake schema, Uh,
1: (laughs) the best
2: schema anyone has ever made. Uh, You build an elaborate ETL pipeline that takes your data and denormalizes it into this, this wonderful snowflake schema. Uh, And then you build out all your models that you anticipated from day one on top of that. Uh, That sounds great, we all know why things like that don't work. Um, (laughs) Requirements change, Uh, your initial plan was wrong, Uh, you end up investing all this time uh, and then it doesn't even serve the needs of your business users and they go off and they do everything in Excel. Um, The agile version of data warehousing is where you get all the data into the warehouse on day one, uh, the way that we do. Uh, where we sync using a normalized schema, you can turn things off, but by default we just sync everything. Uh, and then you start by solving your most important problem. Uh, you you build that first looker view uh, that um, you know solves your most pressing uh, business requirement, uh, and you and you go from there. Um, and you only start optimizing when you discover you actually need to. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. so. I think those agile principles map really well onto data warehousing.
3: George, I think you forgot the part where you make the million-dollar capital expenditure um,
2: early on.
4: Million. What what price sheet are you looking at? Yeah, all right,
3: that's back from the '80s, I guess. The multi-million.
4: Yeah, Uh, I mean, uh, before the other guests jump, I just really wanted to jump on that point, George. I think it's excellent. Um, I think all of the uh, pre-loaded design and performance tuning and everything before you run a single query is just silly. Uh, it really is silly. And I think we've wasted so much time in the old world thinking about everything. You know, I remember when aggregates used to be on the model before anything was built. And it just always seemed strange to me. Um, and when you look at something like Snowflake where it is so fast anyway, and it's so and it's so reactive anyway. It just seems like such a waste. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Michael?
1: Yeah, and it's interesting to to hear you two reference agility and and, and Kevin mentioned agility. When we came at it, it wasn't really from a perspective of agility, although obviously that's a, a major byproduct advantage for us we really came at it from a perspective it should be a whole lot easier than it is because when you think about the bar one has to cross just to get a data warehouse up and running from the modeling to the data ingestion to all of the transformations and all those different sort of things you need to do uh, just to get things set up i mean it's just ridiculous and so when you think about the cloud environment now and what you would want out of a cloud environment which principally means you want to see it as a service, there should be an expectation that when you go into the cloud, all the resources you need are available to you. All the capabilities you need are there at your disposal. And then to the extent you need to scale, there should be no limits to that scalability. So why else would you go to the cloud and use an architecture? I mean, It just makes no sense to go to a cloud and build an infrastructure. I, mean, I love to say friends don't let friends build clusters because <laughs> it just doesn't make sense once you're into the cloud all you want is just service at your disposal and so we take care of a lot of that for you so the transformation is, is basically not necessary we can ingest the JSON we can ingest all of that semi-structured data just as if it were structured data and this is something you don't need to take care of we deliver that to you as a capability and obviously with a company like Fivetran bringing in those bringing in that data to us, it just makes it that much easier for someone just to log into snowflake establish their data warehouse set it up create their database establish all the objects and then go do their query so infinite scalability maximize performance none of that none of that transformation just you're ready to use it and that's what we're all about and and I think again it really wasn't from an agility point of view but that's certainly as a byproduct it was about how to make it easy to deliver value as opposed to managing an infrastructure
0: I just want to take a moment to check the checkbox that we did our public service announcement for the day that friends don't let friends build exactly. infrastructure is that, is that, <laughs> is that okay I just I, got, I, I checked that checkbox off on my uh, on my mm-hmm. app today I got that one done so uh, go ahead uh, Daniel looks like you were looking to yeah, check it.
3: yeah I mean I was just gonna say I, I mean I think the, the reality is that the the underlying the changes in the underlying architecture, are really the key here. And the, you know, I think big data for the most part has been more hype than uh, reality uh, here, you know, to date. But the one thing that it absolutely has delivered over the last five or 10 years, you know, I would say even maybe a little bit further back, starting with the, the sort of advent of the Hadoop ecosystem, but then very much accelerated with the sort of cloud MPP data warehouses is incredibly cheap, incredibly fast, Uh, data processing, right? We've gone from data processing being really expensive and really, really slow to not that. And so I think once you get into a world where like Snowflake, you can be fast, you know, no op in the cloud and also ingest JSON, it it eliminates the need for all of that pre-transformation that you guys were talking about, right? It, It wasn't that people were building cubes because cubes were really fun to build. They're building cubes because they didn't have another option, right? Because if your underlying database is not fast enough to handle the raw data, you have to pre-aggregate it. You have to pre-transform it before you can load it in. And I think what we see over and over is people have, have upgraded to these newer cloud data warehouses. They have all of this power at their disposal, but for some reason they're still using the same analytic tools on top. And when they do that, it forces them into the same existing patterns that they were using with the old school uh, data warehouses. And, and it's, I mean, it's the equivalent of buying a Tesla and being like, well, you know, my Civics tires aren't worn out. So maybe I'll just put them on the Tesla because it'll save me a little bit of money. It's like, you just bought a Tesla, like you gotta go all in, right? And so I think, you know, I think that's what we see is, you know, with, you know, Looker speak something like 35 different dialects of SQL. And what that means is that, that we not all, it's not we're writing generic SQL for you know, whatever you're doing. We're writing SQL that is specific to take advantage of the capabilities of the warehouse that you're using. So when we're writing SQL against Snowflake, we're writing SQL that can use their variant type So that we can access JSON, you know, nested data, hierarchical data, because that's a really powerful tool that Snowflake brings to the table. And why would you leave that on the, on the cutting room floor, right? Why would you ignore that? You want a tool that can actually natively take advantage of that. And so, you know, that's what Looker does. It says, get this knowledge out of the analyst's head about what the data means, put it in software where it scales so that everybody can access it, but then also make sure that you're fully taking advantage of all of the the power that the the underlying warehouses bring to the table
0: so so daniel i want to talk a little bit about you know one of one of the sort of uh messages that comes out of looker a lot is this sort of third wave of bi and Mm -hmm. and and i think it's uh, if you could take a moment to explain it a little bit and and then george and michael i want you to kind of jump in because i think your product sets actually sort of lend nicely to this and this wave and so i'd like to kind of talk a little bit about that subject so you know, give us a quick summary about what that what that means.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, when we talk about the third wave of BI, we need to go back to the first wave. So, the first wave is the monolithic legacy infrastructure stack that we were kind of making fun of at the beginning with the George big Johnson. capital expenditure, the the waterfall process, and you know, this massive data warehouse that gets trucked into your data center <laughs> back in the eighties or nineties. Um, and uh, you know, everything's pre-aggregated, and the advantage of that is that it's always right right like nobody's allowed to touch the dashboard once it's built and so as a result it's pixel perfect and oh it is right and when you need to close that quarter you know that dashboard is going to be correct the downside is a it's really expensive and really slow but b it's completely inflexible right it gets trustworthiness by virtue of being inflexible and so what happens inevitably and what led to the second wave directly was people got frustrated with the inflexibility. They said, "I have a question that is not answered by the one dashboard that I have access to. Well, I've got a computer on my desk that's fast enough, I guess, and can hold a little bit of data, so maybe I'll ask for a data extract, stick it in a workbook on my computer, and, you know, and then I can slice and dice, which is like seems better. Now you can answer your questions on the fly, and it everything goes great with that system until you get into a room with somebody else." Who has a different data extract with slightly different fields taken from the warehouse at a slightly different time and they're using different calculations. And you go, Man, we're having a great quarter. And they go, No, we're not. We're having a terrible quarter. And then you realize <laughs> that you're gonna spend the whole meeting just debugging and trying to figure out what the hell, you know, the the distinction is between why, why are you getting one answer and they're getting a totally different answer? And so basically what happened was they threw out in the second wave they threw out the sort of slow expensive hardware of the first wave they which good great they threw out the inflexibility but they also threw out the data model the and they ended up throwing out the baby with the bathwater right they threw out this shared understanding across the business about what the data actually means which you know kind of a good thing, right? Like data in and of itself is not very worthwhile, but data that can answer your questions and help you make better decisions, that's that's valuable. But if everybody in the business has a different understanding of what the data means, the data is not gonna be very useful. And so what the data platform does, what this third wave does is it says, let's keep the really fast, amazing new tools, let's keep the flexibility, but let's bring back that idea of a shared understanding of what the data means. And that's what Looker, you know, that's what's at the core of Looker. We have this, we have a modeling language called LookML, which basically just takes SQL, the industry standard, you know, lingua franca of data analysts, builds on top of it and says, Looker can write SQL for you because you can tell Looker how to write SQL. You can tell Looker that when orders joins to users, it's always going to join using user, uh, user ID, right? You can tell Looker that the definition of lifetime customer value is A plus B divided by C and then you don't have to track that anymore. And if it changes, that's fine. You go in, you change it in one place. Everything in Looker is version controlled so you can see who made changes, why, when, um, and that allows business users who don't have SQL to be able to go in and point and click their way to ask any question they can think of. Right? They're not limited by what's in their workbook and they're not using you know, stale extracts. They're directly connected to Snowflake
0: or, or one of the other cloud warehouses. So, so, George, you know, jump, jump in here, how does, how does that sort of resonate, you know, you guys are all about sort of getting the data in there, I imagine you have conversations with your customers about that that's not
2: necessarily the end of the story, right? So can you, I guess, talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, um, let me just say first of all, as an outsider, that I, you know, uh, the thing that Looker does really well, and I have said this many times to many people, is that it is a, a two-tier system. Uh, and I just want to reiterate how, how well they've done that. Uh, they've, they've built that modeling layer where things are, uh, you know, that's under version control, uh, where things are a little tighter, and it, it has the advantages of that. And then they have that second tier, which is more flexible, which is, can encompass all of, you know, what everyone wants to do. And, and uh, that just works so well. Um, in, in the the thing that Looker uh, and Fivetran do really well together uh, is that, because uh, our, our product is designed to be automatic uh, and to sync everything by default, that, that means that we're producing a normalized schema, right? You can't go in and program into Fivetran uh, your perfect dream snowflake schema. Kimball model, no. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can't go put a Kimball model into Fivetran because your Kimball model is different than somebody else's and we can't have a fully managed Automatic service that does that, right? Um, so you're gonna get a normalized schema uh, when you use Fibetran. Uh, now, you're still gonna have to do some transformation of that data. You're just gonna do it after it arrives in the warehouse. And, and this is way better. Uh, this is way better than trying to program all your transformations into your data pipeline because. It's much easier to figure out what happened when something goes wrong because it's all just sitting there in SQL. You've got the original data sitting right next to whatever transformation rules you have. It's very easy to troubleshoot. It's very easy to understand. You only need that one SQL skill set. But it does mean that we lean harder on the downstream components uh, and that's where Looker really uh, holds up uh, because they have this modeling layer uh, that's that's very powerful. Uh, you, You can you can Get what you need in terms of transforming the data after it arrives in the warehouse. That's a really important point. When when you sort of refactor your whole analytics workflow uh, the way that we do, uh, where you, you you know you start with a, an automated data pipeline and a normalized schema, that means that that, that middle layer uh, where you're modeling gets fatter. Uh, and that's good. There's a lot of benefits from that, but you you're you're gonna do more work there. So your BI tool had better be ready to do that.
4: And the database better be ready to perform, right? Yeah, so, that's
2: where, that's that's where exactly. we're going to go with Snowflake. That's kind yeah. of where
4: Michael right, jumped. sorry, so, so, I may mean, the thunder there, Kevin.
1: <laughs> okay, on that point, I, I really would like to jump back on one of the earlier points that Daniel made of which uh, George more or less confirmed. And, and this is it's this notion of about using the same tools when, when you get into the cloud. I would argue that it's even more fundamental than that at times. Sometimes when you go into the cloud, there's still this expectation, well, all I'm doing is saving the hardware, and, and I'm, I'm just sort of genericizing or, or okay. generalizing here. You're gonna go into the cloud, you're going to uh, erect your, um, your environment, your infrastructure, whether it be on AWS or Azure or what have you, but let, let's use AWS as that's what's what we're on. You want to spin up your EC2 nodes. You want to spin up EBS or whatever you decide to do from a storage infrastructure. And so you're still provisioning hardware. So even though, yes, you saved on that CapEx and you don't longer have to buy that hardware, there's still this expectation when I'm going into the cloud, I'm going to provision my hardware. So uh, even if you were to eliminate uh, some of the tools, as as Daniel was saying, you you still have this mindset out there where I got to go build this stuff. And so we're all about you don't have to provision anything so when you come into snowflake for example you select effectively the size of your data warehouse which we predetermine for you based on what we feel are the the metrics necessary for, uh, to to create that 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 data warehouse and so Um, Selecting your size is a lot different from provisioning. So there's no software environment for which you have to um, provision. You don't have to select the the software environment. There's no underlying picking of the various EC2 nodes that you would like to use, none of that. So so I think sometimes it's it's even down to that level fundamentals. And so once folks get a, a handle on, well, I no longer need to do this, it sort of, it splits into two types of users. Those who are sort of solution oriented, I just want to get to the answers and the value very quickly. And they're just ready to, I don't have to worry about this stuff. You know, it's like, take it from me. They're just practically begging to say, take this away from me. We don't really need to worry about that. I worry more about, for example, running the reports faster, getting it to my executives in a timely manner, ensuring that all of the uh, data sets of which I need to run analytics onto can be brought on board in a, in a timely manner. And I don't need to worry about every time my engineers want to create a new field in their JSON document, I have to go back and remodel the data. So I think sometimes, it's even at that level of which, when the light bulb goes off and they uh, and the user realizes that you know I don't have to worry about doing things the same old way, then things really start to take off. So there's definitely two t- types of users: those who are ready to jump to that solution service ready to go environment versus those who are still sort of you know I, I want my fingers in the weeds. I, I still want to build that infrastructure, but more and more of them are coming over to the solution as a service side. So I just wanted to make that point because I, I think sometimes it's, it gets down to that level of granularity.
3: Yeah, and I just want to jump on the, the the couple of things that George and Michael said. Would you know the One of the nice things about having such great partners who ha- do things sort of predictably and automatically is that we can then build or we can work with them to build directly for that uh, use case. So that, for example, when Fivetran pipes in Salesforce data or Zendesk data, as George said, it's not you set up whichever, you know, custom, uh, you know, snowflake schema you want. It's, we're gonna pipe it in raw. uh, And if you've ever seen a Salesforce schema, it is not a pretty thing. Um, But uh, that does not mean we're gonna pipe it in raw and then good luck, you're on your own. Because if you're piping it in, Looker and Fivetran have collaborated on building a Looker block. So we have pre-written code that knows exactly how Fivetran pipes that data in and trans and does the transformation for you, but it's not a black box. I think that's that a lot of people offer a black box where they say, yeah, give us your Salesforce data and we'll turn it into dashboards, which seems great. Until you're like, I want to wait,
2: change one thing.
3: Yeah, I want to change one. Th- wait, no, but we have this custom field <laughs> that never important. happens. <laughs> are you are you taking account of our custom field? This this is everything for us. And they're like, oh no, we don't handle custom fields. It's like, well, who's ever seen a Salesforce implementation that doesn't have custom field. right? Like, and so what Looker blocks are is code, right? They're literally hosted on GitHub. They're code, and so. What that means is we'll get you 90 or 95% of the way there so that you've got all of the standard transformations and you know joins done for you, but then that last 5% that's custom to your particular use case, you just go in and modify the code and it just works, right? So you're not, here's the data raw, good luck. It's here's the data raw, here are dashboards, but hey, this one metric is off because it doesn't know about your custom fields, go fix that and now you're off to the races.
4: Yeah, let me uh, I wouldn't mind jumping in there. So we've all sort of identified the problems with wave one. There's still a lot of wave one stuff going on. And there are people trying to do that better. Uh, But you you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time on this show kind of pointing out those problems. But what are the problems with wave two And, uh, and Daniel, you got into it a little bit. But one of the problems I see mostly in wave two is that the tool sets that people are using are taking data out of the powerful platforms. So when we bring data over, even if we wanted to replicate it, uh, we could use FiveTran for that, et cetera. If you use some of these more self-service tools, um, there's a lot of data prep that's going to be involved. There's a lot of data prep tools that get sold to, to use some of those self service tools that are out there. Yeah. And in a lot of cases that data is being taken out of the powerful platform being loaded to something that's not powerful. Um, yeah. it, it, it looks like it would, would be to the end user, but it's not. So what I love about Looker, uh, the Looker-Snowflake combination there, is that Looker can give you that metadata layer on top of it, which defines a model, defines a lot of complex things, even against a, a normalized schema that 5Trend that brings over. But but Snowflake has the power to process it. And why in the world would you ever take the yep. data Yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, we I, I don't know why you would. I mean, Looker literally doesn't have a proprietary data engine. We are built specifically to leverage that underlying power. And I just, you know, if you're buying a BI tool, why would you go buy one that you have to use their data engine? Like, it's, I mean, we talk about buying, it's buying your TV and your VCR. If it, I don't know if everybody on the listening knows what a VCR is, but uh, it's <laughs> like a Blu-ray player that, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> Those things do exist, but what happens is now you're stuck with your VCR and you want to upgrade to a DVD player. Well, now you have to throw out your TV, right? It's like doesn't that doesn't make sense. You want to buy the best components to build the best system, and that means not buying bundles. It means actually leveraging what each each component is really great at. Um, so yeah, it it just doesn't make sense to me, but you know, like it doesn't make sense to me today, but putting myself in the shoes of somebody in 2003 when tableau was invented like that was a perfectly logical thing to do right like all of a sudden people had had not laptops probably but had desktops on their computer on their desks that could actually hold a reasonable amount of data could move fast enough to slice and dice in pretty close to real time there was no way the warehouse was going to do that so the only way to do that was to suck the data out of the warehouse into an extract and into a workbook So that made sense, but that's not the world of today. Right. And so, you know, I think the idea that you'd stick with that way of doing things just doesn't make sense. And what, what, what you lose in addition to the power is you lose the reusability, right? If you're making a new workbook each time you have to do that data cleaning each time that you extract the data from the warehouse, it's a huge waste of time. It's a huge waste of analyst time. They hate it because they're just doing the same cleanup every time over and over and over. And so, what you want is a reusable layer that's kind of lightweight and sits on top where you can do the cleanup once and then leverage that every time that you're gonna need to access the data, whichever
2: window, you know, whichever
3: department you're, you're helping out. You know, yeah. on
2: this point of data cleanup, um, it's something that gets brought up a lot. It's something that a lot of analysts have a lot of experience with, of going through data cleanup hell over and over and over uh, in some of these you know, on-your-laptop tools. Um, Adopting a workflow like the one we're talking about uh, it helps you to avoid repeating these data cleanup tasks, but some of these data cleanup tasks just go away uh, when you use a stack like 5Trans, Snowflake, Looker. And the reason is uh, a lot of these data cleanup things we're just able to do for you because our schemas are standardized. So a lot of these data cleanup things that people always talk about and suffer through originate uh, because these APIs, the data sources you're pulling from, produce data in this really crazy format. Every one of them, they invent their own crazy format. You know, these nested JSON things, They attach all these related entities, they think they're being helpful. Uh, Instead, they force you to play this game where you try to figure out what the underlying schema of this data is, like what was the database schema before they mixed it all together into these crazy API responses? Uh, Well, when you use a tool like Vivetran, because we've said from the get-go, we're going to produce a normalized schema in your data warehouse, and it's not going to be configurable. It's going to be the same for everyone. That means that we can go and do that work of reverse engineering their API and figuring out what's the real schema of this data set one time yep. in the whole world. Uh, so some five train engineer you know, spent two months uh, fiddling around with Zendesk Figuring in Zendesk, in the, case, in the case of Zendesk, it was a lot more than two months. Um, let's say average two months, fiddling around with their UI, figuring out all the rules of their API. Uh, they did that one time, and then you just get this nice normalized schema that's in your data warehouse. It's all documented in a lovely entity relationship diagram in our docs. Um, so some of these data prep tasks become lesser because you only have to do them one time because it's centralized. Some of them just go away. Yeah, I it just. I, I just want to say, I, I was a Looker customer before uh, I was a Looker
3: employee. And that was before Fivetran uh, and their ilk were around. So we had to build a bespoke uh, ETL process to suck the data out of all these tools. My God, it was horrible. Uh, I so envy the folks who can now just pay Fivetran to do it for them. It's so much cheaper. It's so much easier. Uh, it's, it's a total blessing to be able to just say, you've already solved this problem. I will give you money and you give me the solution. Like it's, it's amazing and
2: wonderful. And, and this is the thing, there are, there are several of new wave ETL pipeline companies like us, um, but this is the thing we really pride ourselves on and the thing we think makes us different uh, is that we really invest the time to figure out the right schema for every uh, data source and we will do any amount of work as long as we only have to do it one time uh, to get that schema right.
0: And and so you guys have naturally progressed to a topic that I wanted to hit on. And so I want to give uh, Michael a chance to comment on this as well, because both George, you and Michael at the top talked about how both Fivetran and Snowflake have this sort of services layer on top that differentiates you from other sort of vendors and, and platforms that do similar types of things. And so, Michael, just give a quick You know sort of shout out to that sort of services layer that you mentioned with snowflake george did a really good job of explaining how that you know really benefits five train customers and and you know daniel gave a a great if i can just pay you to have that done i'd rather do that than build it myself what's the equivalent on snowflake what's the what's the same thing that's happening on the sort of snowflake environment that you guys are doing that you know companies don't have to worry about doing now that uh you know they're using snowflake
1: yeah there are a couple of things and and so just to latch on to the the services aspect and our environment um, we have basically a, a if you will a, a global metadata uh, managed environment so just about everything I shouldn't even say just about everything that transact in our data warehouse is tracked so Corey is a that are ran or serialized. Tables that are created are serialized. Everything that a customer does is, is pretty much logged. So we have a fairly hefty metadata component to our services layer, which enables us to track all activity. So we can do things like zero copy cloning, which means if, if you guys are familiar with copy and write data. Oh, uh, yeah. And so, if you wanted to make um, a clone of your database for the test and dev environment so that they can go off and do their thing that's separate from the production environment, you can do that without bringing over the data. So, so from a services perspective, there are two things I want to hit on. What I would say is this, is is building a single source of truth. So, you have the data, you bring it in, and so no matter how many different warehouses you put on top of that data, that data is maintained automatically in terms of integrity by way of the asset compliance. So, so a lot of that activity that you'd have to worry about before goes away. The interesting thing that I think anyway, that's interesting is that even in the cloud environment, it's sort of related to individuals wanting to build their own, their own infrastructure, but even in a cloud environment, we'll see the, the aspect of trying to create a data lake. And, and we all know the, the the value of bringing in all your data into a data lake a common location in which you can just run analytics right there in the lake the problem is is that the way it's done today requires um, a presence of data in a lake and then some separate uh we'll say um, some metastore whether it be a hive metastore or whatever so therefore you can try to do some level of managing the consistency of that data should there be multiple compute engines banging against that data. So we see it differently because what happens is the burden is on the user to actually manage that metastore. So so not only are you managing your d- database, now you have to manage the metastore. So if you bring it into Snowflake by way of FiveTran and you're using looker tools, that metadata management goes away. And so you can have a single source of truth no matter how many different analysts you have banging against that data. And so that's one thing I wanted to mention. So now on top of that Not that every customer will want to have this capability, but we see this is where the market is going. So we're preparing for this. So let's take that data sharing single source of truth to a new level. And so beyond just having a we'll call a single data warehouse, which every person within that organization that's granted access has access to that data, you can now take that same data and enable an external user to read or access that data. And so if they are uh, using Snowflake, we, by way of our data sharing technology, we will enable that outside user by um, some SQL create commands, we'll enable that user to access that data that is resident in my data warehouse, and that data doesn't have to be moved. And say, for example, you wanna just query the data to see if it even meets maybe your minimum level of expectation before you brought it in by way of Fivetran. A lot of um, type analytics, whether it's on um, Zendesk, whether it's on Salesforce, that's the workflow. You kind of want to see if the data meets your needs before you decide to actually use it. So there's some level of filtering, if you will, that takes place. So wouldn't it be nice that you're able to query that data before it's a necessity to move it and add your value to it? So we enable that, what we'll call external data sharing. So external organizations can be given some Level of access, some level of um, control, security to that data, and it could be one to one, it could be one to many, or it could be many to many. And you can customize those those um, materialized views or those secure views, if you will, uh, for any number of what I'll call data consumers into a, a common data set that I might provide as a data provider. So that's a whole new level of capability, a whole new tier. Of consideration. And again, not every customer wants that sort of thing, but we can see a need for it.
0: Yeah. So in the interest of time here, I'm going to turn it over to Stuart. So, Stuart, if you want to give any parting thoughts on any of these comments, go ahead, but otherwise, feel free to I got got
4: one one one. I got one quick one. And this is about sort of cloud in general, but all three of these vendors do this very, very well and that's support. I think there's something that we've sort of learned to live with in on premises enterprise tools. And I could pick any of them, and this would yeah. be true. The support is terrible
3: I think no, just no general- they 'll get back to you within three days three I, I mean three working days
4: yeah. <laughs> the just the general nature of cloud uh, means it's a platform, and that platform is not locked away in your vault on premises that no one can get to, so therefore you don't have to go and generate a million test cases and and, and try to have someone on the other side reproduce it on different hardware, etc. So that's just a sort of a parting thought for the cloud in general. A lot of cloud vendors do that well. These three particularly do um, fantastically. That I, I hadn't thought about that until Michael was speaking about all the logging and things that they do, and all of your queries, and you don't have to go and reproduce that. Right. Uh, and, and Looker jumps in with their with their chat bot, and it's fantastic. So uh, so that was sort of my last parting thought. So with, th- with that, uh, we will pivot to buy sell. So uh, our longtime watchers know that this is the best part of the show, um, and uh, I will make a statement, and we'll see how much time, how many I get to make, and uh, we'll go around the horn. Uh, it's going to go Daniel, because this is the way it looks on my screen. It's go Daniel, Michael, George, and Kevin. Um, will be the order in which you'll you'll take, and you'll each answer these, and it'll just be I'll make a statement, somewhat perhaps controversial. You'll say. First thing you'll say is buy or sell. I have to reiterate that because some of our guests won't do that. They'll say <laughs> oh my God. buy it.
0: Take a position.
4: I, no no <laughs> a <laughs> holding. No holding. No, no, no holding. <laughs> no. Well, that's sort of, you know, I, I.
0: Maybe. Maybe.
4: Buy or sell. Um, and then give us a quick couple of sentences about why.
0: And be brief. We are maybe. a little short on time.
4: Yeah, be brief. So we'll start with um, we will only cross. The Rubicon with cloud-native analytics platforms. When we dislodge transactional systems from their on-premises vaults.
3: Uh, wow, I have to go first. Um,
4: <laughs> Cross the Rubicon, right? We're going to really go all in. Cross the Rubicon.
3: Sell. I. I'm just. I'm. I think the the trend is not towards everything has to be cloud. I think the trend is towards it doesn't matter terribly where the data resides. So if it needs to reside on premise, fine, whatever. But then the warehouse can still be in the cloud.
4: Kind of a loaded question for George, isn't it? But we'll keep going. (laughs) Go ahead, ahead, Michael. All
3: right,
1: I I have to agree. I'm a seller on this one and and here's why. Uh, Because we're talking about it from a data warehouse perspective. I think the transactional requirements in a data warehouse perspective might be different than one might be thinking from a classic OLTP perspective in which the, the bar is much higher on performance. And so for those types of customers, they very well may need to have a on-premises OLTP database to do their financial uh, transactions in terms of lightning-fast integrity. And that might not be the realm uh, of data warehouse. So, the reason why I sold on that was because I would want further clarification as to all right, what's that transactional metric and, and what's required of it before we sign up a data warehouse tool.
4: Before we move to you, George, I just want to add a little sort of side note before you answer, and that is that it is easier when, the, when you're pulling from systems in the cloud, correct? So, um, I know you pull equally well from systems, uh, uh, Oracle databases, all those sort of on premises databases. But would we maybe, you know, affect a new paradigm if everybody, if we were pulling from only sort of cloud APIs?
2: Uh, well, I think it will surprise no one that I, that I say sell so. <laughs> <laughs> on this one. Since we're in the business in many, in many cases of, of syncing data from on-prem databases to cloud data warehouses, I think there's a, a mental barrier here. People think there's some reason why it's hard to have an on-prem database going to a cloud data warehouse. In reality, it's exactly the same process, whether you're going from a cloud database to a cloud data warehouse or from an on-prem database to a cloud data warehouse. We don't even know in some cases whether the database we're talking to is sitting on-prem or in the cloud. Uh, So um, I think, uh, you know, it it may be, it's really, it's a perceived barrier more than a real one. Is it easier for cloud? Databases to get into cloud data warehouses. Yes, but only because of this perceived barrier um, So I, I I'm gonna definitely say sell on the statement. Yeah, no,
4: no, no shock. No shocking answer so far Kevin What, what say you?
0: Uh, I'm gonna sell as well. I won't I won't be a contrarian on this one and and I'll just point back to the agility factor so while we we kind of all agree that you know, BI and data warehousing can be better when it's iterative and and agile and when we're not trying to blow the ocean. A lot of times with applications and transactional systems, they do kind of need to do that to make sure they're right and they flow right, et cetera. And so to that end, whether they choose on-premise or or cloud, you know, I think should be kind of irrelevant. Um, You know, I I think cloud makes data warehousing better. Doesn't really necessarily make uh, applications better depending on the the industry and the type of application. So I'll sell.
4: Okay. Next question, starting with you again, Daniel. The object store has made Hadoop obsolete. Pooh.
3: Nah, sell.
1: I wish I went first on that one. <laughs>
3: uh, <laughs> I'm I'm a sell on that. I mean, I think, uh, I think where people get into trouble is they they some because something is new they think it's better at the stuff that all the old systems already did and um so look hadoop has its place it does some things really well and really really cheaply things that you wouldn't want to pay snowflake to do because it just it's unnecessary you can take the batch processing time and all that right and i think the object stores do a few things that they do very well they are not however ACID compliant transactional databases and if you need an ACID compliant transactional database there are quite a few that are well proven and you should probably use one of those not the object store because it's new and fancy
4: Michael what say you
1: so 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 in the spirit of the the game here buy or sell I have to take a sell on that one and and here's why because I think again it's, it's sort of down to the qualification if that object happens to be your classic structured and semi-structured data then i would say you don't need hadoop in that perspective because you can just bring all that data into the cloud but if it were true unstructured data as in media files audio file pure text files and depending on what you wanted to get out of that in terms of either analytics or machine learning well there's still a place for hadoop but i do think now that customers benefit because now they have better tools, smarter tools, and they can think of what's the right, the correct place for that object. Is it in Hadoop or is it in a cloud versus what it was 10 years ago when, when Hadoop arrived on the scene, it was like, send everything there. And I, I think that those days are gone.
2: Thank God. George? The, wait, the statement is that Hadoop is gonna is is killed by S3, right? Well,
1: well segue.
2: Whatever. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm going to disagree with the previous two speakers, and I'm going to buy oh, that. Oh boy! No, finally, a bull. We finally got a bull, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I buy. Uh, you know, uh, if, if S3 and Google Cloud Storage uh, had existed in 2000, Hadoop never would have been invented. Uh, if you just do the math on uh, the bandwidth between the whole the whole point of Hadoop is it's a file store where you can co-locate the compute with the files. I if you just do the math on the bandwidth from S3 and especially GCS into instances, it doesn't matter. You you don't need this anymore. Excellent. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Kevin, uh, so I'm, I'm I'm kind of with
0: George from a buy perspective. Um, I I appreciate where where Daniel and and Michael are coming from, but um, you're equivocating, Kevin. No, I said bye. I didn't say okay, me. I, I just I just said, you know, I, I can I can understand where their comments are coming from because I, I, I do in some of our customers see other use cases for Hadoop out there. But you know, I, I, I just I think at this point, um, you know, any anybody because of the sort of challenging nature in which it takes to get Hadoop up and running and do some of those Absolutely. things, I think you would be much if if you were starting fresh today. Um, I think you would be much better suited just going to Object Store, um,
2: you know, sort of right out of the gate. So I'm I'm going to buy on that. Can I add add one tiny thing? Yeah, go ahead. There are many great things in the Hadoop ecosystem that will outlive Hadoop. Spark. Uh, Right.
4: (laughs) Ha ha. Good one.
2: So so
4: we got time for one more, right, Kevin? Go one more, yeah. Okay. So I have to get machine learning in there somewhere, guys. Oh God cell so sell sorry, <laughs> I started it So here's, hear me out of course, AI will have ev- um let's, i'll change that of course, machine learning will eventually take everyone's jobs, but it's coming after the five of us first ah.
3: no sell I mean, I don't think it's i i'm so I'm so done with the hype um i like yeah. I mean, restaurants didn't exist before automobiles though. Like a lot of people work in restaurants. I bet they're not like sad that they're not, you know, blacksmiths making horseshoes. Um, I mean, I think I, I, a, I, don't think our jobs are particularly uh, vulnerable to machine learning more so than anything else. But I also just think that like, yeah, technology changes. That's the nature of technology. Uh, all of human history, that has been true. And we can find some really nice texts from you know 1900 about how the technology is coming to take all of our jobs. Uh, I'm I'm not scared um i'm scared about the distribution of wealth that comes from that but that's a whole separate political question that has nothing to do with the actual (laughs) underlying technology um so yeah no i just i i don't think it's taking anybody's job i think it's gonna do some things really well and some other things it's not gonna do for a really long time like drive
1: cars (laughs) Um, so i'm next right so i'm definitely a seller on this and i said this on one of my blog posts on linkedin Machine learning is hard. Artificial intelligence is hard. The thing is, there's a lot of analysts out there who don't know the difference between redwood forest and a random forest. And so the thing is you have to appreciate what goes into developing a true AI application. And if you thought Hadoop was hard, (laughs) Java and Scala and all this sort of stuff, what do you think is gonna happen with machine learning? It is difficult. And for this reason, I just don't think it's gonna be taking a lot of analyst jobs. So I think folks can feel secure, but there is a place for it, no doubt.
2: George? Yeah, I I sort of interpret your question to to be you know, is, is is machine learning and predictive models in particular going to displace BI, uh, as people like Michael Stonebracker will argue. Um, I'm definitely a sell on that, that statement. Uh, I think a lot of people talk about these topics because they're new. I think they're super interesting and they're going to be really important in certain cases. I think the bread and butter of what most companies are doing will still be counting things, uh, which is kind of what all of us do comes down to. I, I think counting things will still be important. Uh, Got to put them in groups. 20 years. Build them, then uh-huh. count them. Sometimes, sometimes we add, sometimes we count. Yeah. Uh, these are really important things that will still be important even in a world of predictive models. Yes. <laughs> Kevin, what say you? Uh, well, only because you threw the word first at the end, yet
0: you, you, you had me as a buyer until you threw <laughs> the word first on there. Um, so I, so I have to sell, but I will say, I mean, I do think, you know, for all the hype, right. I think the, the, the next step of, uh, of all of our platforms is that they can do more for us, um, than what we have to do ourselves. It doesn't remove us from the equation. It doesn't mean our jobs go away or anything like that, but I do think there's more that the platforms can do for us, whether you call that machine learning, whether you call it AI, AI and those two terms are grossly misused in the industry and overhyped and everybody's you know racing to say they have AI and everything right so like I I think that we have to take that with a grain of salt but that being said can these platforms use those techniques to do more for us in time yes is is it going to be first no I'll I'll buy on that
4: (laughs) maybe we should have Kevin do it so my point on that sort of on that question I think that it just uh, will wrap up uh, this but I think that the real low-hanging fruit that we spend a lot of our time doing I think will will be removed perhaps moved to the transactional systems in a lot of cases um, but the real um, hard work that we spend our time doing which is pulling data from multiple systems uh, putting a, a unique organizational um, slant on that data is still going to be the hard work that we that we have to do
0: and look forward to doing it yeah
4: so with that kevin do you want to you want to take us home
0: yeah so uh i want to take the time to thank all of our guests michael george and daniel thanks for coming on really appreciate it we pulled this episode together pretty quickly i think uh michael you were even <laughs> corralled this morning <laughs> if i'm not mistaken and uh, i was
4: saying
1: it's been a pleasure I, this was a real kick
0: Excellent. Well, thanks. It was it was really fun, and and for anybody watching, January eleventh in Minneapolis uh, is the jump program where you'll get to actually get hands on with all three of these vendors' technology. Fantastic. Uh, looking forward to, to doing it. So, for yeah. No, time, uh,
4: no, no, no slide deck type
0: training. Well, there'll be some slides. We have got to have some
4: slides, slides, obviously. But yeah, we'll, this, this but is a shortened version. Every uh, every user will be hands on with yep. technologies. Yep. Uh, start, to, start to finish you'll actually get value out of uh, in one day and that's yeah
0: absolutely so looking forward to it so guys thanks for being on really appreciate it so for Real Time BI I'm Kevin McGinley that's Stuart Bryson I'm Stuart Bryson <laughs> whichever direction he happens to be <laughs> thanks for watching, thanks for watching